everyone. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Letters and Layers podcast. It's your host, Amaka. It is noon on Wednesday, September 13th. I just finished seeing my morning panel of patients. I had eight people scheduled with the private practice that I work with. And um, firstly, I'm sorry if my voice sounds a little off. This just started like an hour ago and I'm kind of annoyed. (laughs) Almost feel like I'm losing my voice, which I pray to God that's not what's happening. But yeah, sorry about that. But anyway, yes, just finished my first half of the work day with the private practice. I had eight people scheduled and I I saw everyone. So, you know, that's always good um, to be busy. And then I have a few hours of break. So I'm recording. I'm going to make lunch. I'm going to relax for a little bit. And then I have my second job scheduled for the afternoon, like later in the afternoon to the evening, um, where I see more so patients that have co-occurring mental health and substance use um, disorders. I just see mental health conditions within the private practice. So that's the difference between the two jobs. But yeah, I am just thinking more this afternoon about a particular patient of mine who I've been seeing for maybe a year now. She came to me with very tough depression and anxiety We tried an SSRI to start, and she's on some other medications, but she responded pretty negatively to the SSRI. So we discontinued that, and she's been on a more tolerable kind of strictly anxiety-focused medication since then. In addition to the medication management that I've been doing, because we have gone through a few anxiety medications, um, and she's stable on one right now. Aside from that, she's been kind of trying to manage the depression symptoms with therapy and what have you. And she has a separate therapist apart from me because my job is mostly to manage her her medication treatment. But our sessions, we see about twice, one to two times a month. Our sessions have become less about the meds and more, they've been, they've taken more of a focus on kind of talking about her life and why things are the way they are and what are the roots of how she's feeling on any given day because she does struggle with a lot of anxiety. Um, She struggles with, you know, self-esteem and believing in herself. And she lost her grandmother last year. So she's also dealing with grief. The anniversary of her grandmother's passing was actually a couple of weeks ago. So that's still very new and very fresh for her because her and her grandmother were very close. But I'm mentioning this patient because she told me today, we had she was one of the patients I saw today. She told me today that she is finally leaving the job that has been such a huge source of stress for her and anxiety. The anxiety has been crippling, if I am to describe it that way. You know, it impacts her sleep, it impacts her appetite, it just, it makes her paranoid. You know, those type of toxic, unhealthy work environments that really like 
you think about going to work the next day on a Sunday and your blood pressure is going up or you can't sleep the night before or, you know, you have to take anxiety medication because of where you're working. I'm sure she's one of many people in this situation. And we've been talking about it for months. We've been, you know, kind of walking through processing various scenarios and, you know, We've been talking more recently about how like this job and when I say recently, I mean like over the maybe the like over this summer, this summer, we've been really diving deeper into how this job is one of, if not the biggest, the biggest contributing factor to her mental and emotional well-being. So we... (laughs) We, I was like, you know, we're, we're kind of getting to the point where we're coming, we're coming together at these mental health appointments and we're kind of spinning our wheels because, you know, we know what is the major cause of your stress and anxiety, but at the same time, she was scared to leave, you know? So it's kind of like, um, she was in quite the pickle, you know, <laughs> because here is this job that she's in. That is a huge source of her stress. But at the end of the day, it's what she knows. She's been there for a while. And it's kind of like the devil you know versus the angel that you don't. So she has been scared to leave. But I was like, we're kind of spinning our wheels here because we know what the problem is. And yet you, and this is not a fault to her, but no matter how long it takes, we have to start building momentum. We have to start gaining traction when it comes to next steps. So, you know, we made a short term, like 60 to 90 day plan of what we would do. And she, you know, was applying for jobs and got a couple of interviews. And at her last appointment, Um, She told me that she interviewed for a position in a new organization and the position that she wanted, she was qualified for, but the hiring committee asked her if she would consider another position, which within that same department, that's completely separate from where she works now. And she said that, She was bummed that she wasn't going to get what she really wanted. And as a result, she, you know, have she's kind of mentally moved away from that position because it's not exactly what she wanted. So I was like, okay, let's break this down because I need to know details. So we started to compare her current job with the new job that she wasn't technically applying and interviewing for, but they were offering to her. They were still considering her for the job she wanted, but there was this other position that they wanted to consider her for too. And emotionally, she was attached to the original position she applied for. So kind of hearing that she may not get that one and instead was being considered for someone else kind of took the wind out of her sails. And she got to the point where she was like, is this even worth it? And it was was starting to move, you know, mentally away and try and figure things out where she is now and potentially find something new. So when she told me this, I was like, okay, let's do like a mental pros and cons list right now. 
I was like, okay, this job that they're considering you for is not exactly what you want. But because with this second job that they were considering her for, she would be kind of overseeing um, two teams versus one with the other position that she really wanted in her heart of hearts. Um, So I was like, okay, this is a position that they're considering you for. It may mean more work, but what are you getting from this organization that you're not getting from where you are now? She said, well, I'm going to have three days working remote and I can work in office two days a week versus her current job where she is only, um, she only works remote like half a day on Fridays or something like that. I was like, okay. So that's one point for this new organization, despite the fact it's not exactly what you wanted, but it's still worth considering. I was like, what else? is a benefit of this new job. She was like, I'm going to get paid $3 more an hour with this job versus where I am now. Okay. Okay. That's significant. $3 an hour adds up. Is there anything else that's a benefit for this new position with this organization, despite the fact it may not be the position you were specifically vying for? She was like, well, I'm going to be paid weekly with this new organization versus my current organization that I'm with where I get paid bi-weekly. So I was like, okay. So granted, you may not get the job you were specifically vying for, but they like you and they are considering you for this other position, which may mean more work because you're overseeing two teams versus one, but you are out of the office physically three days a week and in office two days a week versus your current position where you are in office four and a half days a week and you are remote Friday afternoons one day a week. It may be more work, this position that you weren't specifically applying for, but the fact that you are home in the comfort of your own personal space, there's going to be a layer of anxiety that disappears right away. Because you're not in that environment that automatically elevates your blood pressure and your anxiety. So it may mean more work, but like I said, you are in your own personal space more days in the week than not. That's going to take off a layer of anxiety right there to the fact, to the point where the energy that you were expelling because you were so anxious, you could channel it into doing that work that you may have to do with overseeing two teams. You're getting paid more, so they're paying you for that extra work, and you're getting paid on a weekly basis. So she was like, oh my God. (laughs) She was like, oh my God, like talking this through with you, I think I may have been too hasty about moving on from this position. And she was like, you know, with this, other position that I wasn't vying for, it would mean going through the interview process all over again. And I'm just not, you know, I'm not feeling that. I'm like, I understand that. I understand that you had your heart set on this other position that you have ultimately interviewed for. And they're considering you for the second position that you may have to interview for again. But if you have to interview for the second position, 
with the benefits that I'm seeing compared to where you currently are, the time is going to pass anyway. The time that you would have interviewed for that second position and potentially be offered that job and potentially come on board, however long that is, if you bypass those opportunities, you can find yourself still in this current job, this current organization that is raising your anxiety through the roof three, six months down the line now. Whereas if you considered this other job where you might have to interview again, you might have to wait a little longer. Maybe that takes one to two months tops, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, they really like you. You know that they want to progress when it comes to your candidacy. So that time is going to pass anyway, you know, at least give yourself the opportunity to seem even more valuable to that company by showing them that you can do both positions. So we talked through this and she was like, but I'm not sure, you know, I've kind of already moved on, you know, I didn't really follow up. I'm kind of, you know, scared that they're not even um, interested in me anymore. I was like, email them, email the um, contact that you've been in communication with during this hiring process. See, you know, the worst thing that they can say is that, you know, things have changed and um, they're moving in a different direction. At least you have your no, but don't be the person to tell yourself no. Because if you don't inquire, it's a no off, off the bat, like out the gate, like you're not even giving yourself an opportunity. So I was like, email them, tell them that you have reconsidered and that you are interested in the alternate position where you will be managing two teams instead of one alongside the other position that she was originally vying for where she's only managing one team. So she was like, okay, I will send them an email. I'll reach out. So fast forward to today where we had our follow-up appointment And she's telling me that she has progressed to the point where they are doing references and they're doing a background check and an offer letter is imminent. Like she's yet to receive an offer letter from that organization that she circled back with. She went back to them with my encouragement. She re-expressed interest. She told them that she had reconsidered the second position and if they could please consider her for both. So now she's coming back to me for her follow-up appointment today. And she's telling me that not only are they offering her a position within the organization, she's actually getting the original position that she wanted. So I'm just so happy for her because she's come a long way. She has been, um, it's been difficult for her to see past you know, her anxiety, which is hard for a lot of people. Anxiety can be really crippling. And it's been hard for her to see past it. And a lot of our appointments have been much less medication management and more like coaching and therapy with what's been going on in her life. And with her telling me that she has gotten to this point where she is expecting an offer letter, they're doing a background check, they have checked her references, you know, They are talking start date like that's how like she's pretty much about to start this new job with the three dollars an hour increase with the weekly um, with the weekly compensation 
with the three days remote. And I'm just like, I hope you're really proud of yourself because we have been working together as provider and client. But at the end of the day, you made the moves, you took the actions and you have made huge strides from where you were when we first started meeting to now. And I was like, I hope you take some time and really let that sink in and let and let and relish in it. And she was like, thank you. I really appreciate it. So now there's a new type of anxiety that she's experiencing because she was telling me, you know, now that I'm one foot out the door, I'm wondering, was this place really that bad? And I couldn't help but chuckle because I've been there, too. You know, being in the midst of just a space, a work environment that's just not healthy, but at the same time is what you know. So now when you're about to leave and it's for something good, but still unknown, there's a new type of anxiety with, you know, that new challenge that awaits you. So now she's thinking, is it really that bad? You know, I could potentially stay and I almost have to snap her out of it (laughs) and be like, yes, it is that bad. This is part of the reason why you're seeing me. So, you know, I'm just... I'm just thinking about how when it comes to making life decisions and getting to the point where you have you have precipitated such a huge life transition, a good one. Things like this, progress like this does not happen overnight. I've been seeing this client for about a year, maybe a little less, but it's been a while. And we've been talking about her job for a really long time, almost since we started. And it's, you know, at this point that she's finally leaving. And I'm just like, this is what progress looks like. It's it's slow. It's not linear. You know, there's some back and forth. But, and, you know, the client ultimately needs to want to help themselves. You know, no matter how much I push and pull and try to urge and encourage them if they are not in a place where they want to help themselves then there's really nothing I can do Um, but this was a client who I knew um, that she would get there I just had to you know kind of give her you know some we had to have some come to Jesus moments because you know she has She's getting better at this, but her awareness is improving around this. But she has a habit of like self-sabotaging, you know, like if I do this, what if this happens? If I do this, I could do this. But then what if this happens? You know, I could take this step. But what if this bad thing happens? I could take this. I could make this decision. But then what if this happens? And we had to have several conversations around you can't do that. There's no way you can make progress in life if you are already sabotaging decisions that you have yet to make. You know, you have to make a decision and then make that move. And then if it's going well and things are working out, then you continue and you build momentum. If you make a decision and you hit a roadblock and it's insurmountable, then you pivot. You pivot. You make a change. 
You make adjustments. Maybe you don't completely scrap that decision. Maybe you figure out a workaround. If things are really in a place where it just is a wash, then you try something new, you know, but like self-sabotaging mentally decisions that you are yet to make or directions you're yet to take is just not healthy. And there's no way you can move forward with that mental state. So we had to talk through that too. And I'm just very happy for her because this is a long time coming, leaving this job that has been a huge source of her anxiety and now dealing with a new anxiety, but what I like to call good anxiety because it's, it's um, nervousness around the unknown but it is good. It is, it's a good anxiety. It's like you are embarking on a new challenge. There are ways that you're going to grow and change that you aren't aware of yet. But at the end of the day, she's going to be better off because she's not going to be in this toxic work environment anymore. And she's going to be trying something new. And even if at the end of the day, this job doesn't work out, clearly she has skills that are in demand and she can find something new. But at the end of the day, she's made that change and she can only build momentum from here. So I've just been thinking about that this morning since I saw her. And, you know, I guess I'm doing something right in this mental health field. It's not always about the meds. Oftentimes it's not even about the meds. Sometimes I have clients that um, come in for their visit and they just want to talk. They just want to vent. They just want to talk about how life is going and it makes them feel better. So, yeah, I hope that, you know, is inspiring for someone. If you are in a job or a place in your life where you feel stuck or there's something that you are dealing with that is a source of anxiety for you. If there's anything that you can do about it, do it. Even if there's a different type of anxiety or quote unquote fear on the other side is it something you could potentially deal with in a better way that is better than what you're dealing with now then take that step take that leap you can certainly find that you will be so much better off for it so I just wanted to share that because it was you know it's in the front of my mind and I'm just very happy for her and I'm happy to know that I am making a positive impact in these clients that I'm seeing. I'm doing something right as a provider because I am nearing two years. January will be two years as a psych MP and there is so much that I've learned and it feels like so much has happened and yet I'm still so early in my career. So I'm excited to see like where I go from here, you know, ultimately. So I'm going to switch gears. I want to play a TikTok that I saw over the weekend that has completely, (laughs) that has completely changed and reframed how I see myself when it comes to my environment and how I'm going to kind of address things moving forward. So I'm going to play the TikTok right now. This is from Mel Ribbons' podcast. She had Casey Davis on, who is the author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, One of the people who I follow on Instagram, Mylik Teal, she has highlighted this book and she was a guest on the podcast 
And Mel put a clip on TikTok, which came up on my For You page, and it has literally changed my life. I'm not even joking. So just listen. I'm probably not the only person that looks at a pile of laundry and I see it as evidence there's something wrong with me that I can't get the laundry done. I signed up to make sure that my family always has clean clothes. I did not sign up to make sure they never have dirty ones. We're used to going, is the laundry done or is it not done? Oh, your laundry exists in a cycle. You have clothes that are clean in the closet. You have clothes that are on your body. You have clothes that are dirty on the floor. You have clothes that are dirty in the hamper. You have clothes that are dirty waiting to go in the wash. You have some in the wash. You have some there. That's a cycle. It's okay for any of it to be in that cycle. And you are not morally obligated to line up every care cycle in your home at the done state at the same time. The key is how do I learn to turn all of these cycles at a pace where it's functional oh my god so that tiktok got me thinking and that was enough um reason for me to go on amazon and buy her book so i have it on my desk right now i'm going to read it how to keep house while drowning because you know i have moved into my own space. It's been going on three months almost now, moving from New York to Chicago. And, you know, before it was my my husband and I living with family. And then before that, it was just me. And it was just me for a really long time. And, you know, being in this new place, even though, you know, Technically, we're kind of settled in our spaces, quote, quote, unquote. I feel like it's still early and living in a space with another person. There are different perspectives when it comes to clean versus messy versus tidy versus untidy versus dirty versus clean or whatever. So you're figuring out those dynamics But at the same time, what I have realized within the past couple of days is that a lot of pressure, you know, I feel I feel bad for my inner child sometimes. I feel bad for my younger self sometimes, you know, and my parents did the best they could with what they knew. But me as a younger child had unrealistic pressure put on her. And my story is not a unique story. Like I am the oldest child, oldest daughter in a Nigerian Igbo household, first kid out of four. I was the girl. Like there is a type of pressure that is put on us that I don't even know if my dad could live under that pressure if he was me. My dad is the second child in his family. Second child, second son. Um, He has an older brother. And then after him, he had sisters. My mom is the oldest daughter, but she's not the oldest child. My mom is the third child out of 10 So she is the oldest daughter. She has one younger sister and the rest were boys. So she, 
She's the oldest daughter, but she's not the oldest child. She has two older brothers. Um, my father is not the oldest child and is not the oldest son. So there is an, a level of responsibility that I had as the oldest girl and the oldest child that neither of them had. And yet they put that on me in a way. And I'm thinking about that because I'm thinking about my relationship between myself and what I deem clean and unclean, what I deem tidy versus untidy. And I kind of had an aha moment a few days ago when I was thinking about how like the way that I try to keep my space as clean as possible is unsustainable. You know, especially living with a partner who may see things differently and they're their own person. You have to respect that. Um, and you just have to, you know, figure out a happy medium and a level of compromise. And you just have to figure out how not to go crazy <laughs> sometimes. And I really had to do some deep digging internally. I'm like, why is it that you know, I think of myself as a better person or a better human being if my space is clean, quote unquote, and clean is very subjective. And I started to think about how like when I was younger, you know, every Saturday it was put upon me to clean the whole house. Like, you know, we lived in a pretty big house um, in New York growing up, and <laughs> and it was we didn't even have a vacuum. Did we have a vacuum growing up? I don't think so. The way we swept, the way we cleaned the floor was those authentic Nigerian stick sweepers. I don't know if anyone listening knows what I mean. If you Google, I'm about to do it right now. If you Google... Nigerian um, sweeper, you will see a bunch of like tree sticks. I don't know if they're tree sticks, but they're bound together to look like a broom, but it's like a big broom. And you manually with your hands sweep the floor. I'm about to Google it right now because I want to see if I am describing it um, accurately and various African countries and other countries and other continents have a variation of this type of cleaning device, but I want to make sure I'm describing it. Okay. If you Google Nigerian broom, you will know, you will see what I'm talking about under images. It is, it is a group of sticks. I don't even, I don't even know if I should call them sticks. I don't know what to call them but just Google Nigerian broom. It's essentially very, very skinny pieces of wood or tree bark, I don't know, that are bound together and you sweep with them. That was our main source of cleaning growing up in Long Island, in that big house. I would start from my room and ultimately like we would... I mean, I have my brothers, I have my sister, but honestly, my my parents were my sister and I did not have the same parents. Let's just say that. (laughs) 
my sister and I, she is the youngest out of us four. My two brothers are in the middle. She's six years younger than me. And her childhood and upbringing is 180 degrees different from mine because I am the oldest of the four and she's the youngest. So we had our responsibilities growing up. I would say my brothers had some things that they had to do, but 80% of the responsibility when it came, when it came to keeping the house clean fell on me. Let, me. let me say 75%. And every Saturday I was expected to get up, get the Nigerian broom and start sweeping the house, starting from upstairs, my room. I did not sweep my brother's room. They took care of that. I would sweep the corridor of the top floor, get the bathroom. I would go in my parents' room, sweep. I would go in the guest room, sweep. I would come down the stairs. I would go into the living room, sweep, go into the dining room, sweep. I would go into the den because we had a living room where the guests um, would come and stay. And then we had the den where me and my brothers would normally stay, go in there, sweep. And then I would come sweep the foyer And then I would go, once that was all done, then I had to take care of the kitchen. Some days I would just sweep the kitchen and not mop it. Some days I would mop the kitchen. Some days I would mop the foyer. So all that was supposed to be done every Saturday. And then if there are plates in the sink on any given day, it's my responsibility I tend to split that with my brothers, very rarely with my sister. When I tell you my sister and I had very different upbringings, (laughs) she had different parents than me. Let's just leave it at that. Um, I would split dish duty with my brothers, but it was mostly me. If I really didn't want to do the dishes, I would bribe my brothers one way or another. I forget what. Um, (laughs) But it was usually me. Cooking to a degree was my responsibility, making sure that my brothers and my sister ate if no one else was home. Um, You know, if we did a lot of cooking on a weekend and there were pots on the stove, it was my responsibility to wash them. Sometimes I could delegate that to my brothers. One of my brothers was more understanding than the other. So, um, you know, if I really just didn't feel like doing it, he would do it. But... If you're looking, when it comes to something in the house that is not clean, that needs to be clean, the first person they look for is me. The first person, undoubtedly. So with that, you know, I'm just thinking about how like, (laughs) I'm just thinking about how my relationship between myself and the word clean and the word tidy and the word messy and the word dirty came about because I don't think I could, at my age right now, maintain a level of clean the way I did when I was younger and living with my family. Like, even as recently as yesterday, I was, <laughs> I was reaching out to some group chats about cleaning services in Chicago because I am at the place, thankfully, where I could afford maybe once every month or every other month to have a professional cleaner come into my space. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But it has gotten, it has taken a while to get to this place because I have seen that I attach how I see myself 
and how I feel about myself to what my space looks like and what my definition of clean is. And my definition of clean has been formed based off of my upbringing, which at the end of the day is helpful because I don't like to be in an unclean space. But the, the, the expectations were too heavy for a child like me and an adolescent now growing up and is struggling with sustaining that type of level of clean. You know, I feel, I feel better about myself and I think about myself as a good person if all my laundry is done and folded and hung and put away. I think about myself as a better person or a good person if there are no um, plates in the sink. I think about myself as a good person or a better person if, you know, the fo- there's, there's not a speck on the floor, you know, or things like that. And that TikTok helped me to see that that's not a healthy way to go about things. That's not a healthy relationship to have with the word clean or dirty or messy or tidy or untidy. And how I was able to kind of trace this back to childhood is because even with all the responsibilities I had, the funny thing is my parents did not harp on me for making my bed. I would sometimes make my bed. I noticed that thinking back, I would make my bed like if we were traveling and I was gone for a few days. And I really did like how it felt to come back to my room and it was clean and the bed was made. I would do it, but I wouldn't do it because my parents were getting on me about making my bed. Like I did it every once in a while, like if I felt like it. And it's funny because I realized this week that I don't attach how I feel about myself to if my bed is made or not. My bed is rarely made. I'm just going to be 100. My bed is rarely made. Maybe a couple times a month or maybe a couple, like three to four times a month that my bed is made. And I don't feel any worse or less of myself because my bed is made. But I feel, I feel bad if there are plates in the sink. I feel bl- bad if my laundry is piling up. I feel bad if like the floor does not look clean to me or whatever. I attach that to my self-worth. And I'm just really appreciative of this, this audio that I heard of this podcast and I'm going to link it in the description of this episode because after I um, listened to it I went and listened to the entire episode and it's very helpful and I'm just like I I need to rearrange my relationship with the word clean and also too what has been detrimental for me is the saying cleanliness is next to godliness which I have vowed never to say to myself again again or use that phrase first of all it's not in the bible (laughs) as far as I know, if I'm wrong, please correct me. But as far as I know, cleanliness is next to godliness is not in the Bible. And I think I grew up thinking that it was. So that was another piece that kind of added to that layer of however my environment looks or feels is a testament to how good or not good of a person I am in that moment. So With the help of this podcast and just thinking about my childhood and everything, because it's funny how I don't think less of myself as a person if my bed is not made, but I 
can think of less of myself as a person if there are dishes in the sink or if there, if I didn't sweep um, the kitchen that day or if my laundry is not done or maybe it's done but I haven't put it away or whatever. I've stopped. I'm like, girl, we need to free ourselves. And having this realization has been freeing. So honestly, I'm not using the word clean anymore because I think my definition of clean for me has been warped with my upbringing. And it was helpful. Like I don't want to I don't want it to seem like it was all bad because now I have the ability to keep a level of cleanliness and tidiness without too much effort, but I think it was just too much. So now I'm just like I'm 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 trying not to use the word clean anymore, honestly. Like, or or instead of saying, is this place clean? If it's in a time frame or a day where I just can't do a deep clean or what have you, I'm going to say, is it clean enough? Is it not dirty? Is it clean enough? Is it decent? Is it a functional space? Because that's something that they talked about in the podcast, like the whole episode with Mel Ribbons and Casey Davis. She was like, is your environment a functional environment? Is your space working for you? You're not supposed to work for your space. Is your space working for you as it currently is? If it's not, then it's time for a reset. But ultimately, I need to figure out a cycle to where I can keep things going in a fluid state with clean versus not, tidy versus not, messy versus not, but not hold myself to this unrealistic standard of if everything is not spick and span, then I'm a bad person. So I've started saying, can I function in this space as it is? If I can, okay. If I can't, then let's do something about it. Is this space functional? Is this space clean enough right now? Is this space not dirty? Because that's that statement that she made, I signed up to make sure my kids had have clean clothes. I did not make I did not sign up to make sure they don't have dirty ones. Was just like, wow. And I'm not even at the place like I don't have kids yet, but like I think just having that reframe now is gonna save me so much heartache in the future. When there are kids running around making a mess <laughs> and I'm, I feel like pulling my hair out, it won't get to that point, fortunately, because of the work I'm doing right now. And recalibrating, maybe, finding a new definition for clean for me and saying to myself that I am not a bad person if there are plates in the sink. I'm not a bad person if my laundry is piling up. You know, I'm not a bad person if I haven't swept my room today or in two days. I'm not a bad person if certain things are happening in my space that I can't address in that moment. Is it clean enough? Is it functional? Is it decent? Is it not dirty? Am I happy? Can I do what I need to do in this space right now? Can it provide the service that I need from me, from me right now? If those answers are yes, then everything, everything is good in that moment. And I'm going to let go of the unrealistic expectations of clean 
that I used to have, I'm going to say in the past tense, because of how I was brought up. (laughs) And rest assured, if I have a daughter, son too, but particularly daughter, because it was me. If I have a daughter, I'm going to do things differently in that way. So that's also been on my heart too. And I wanted to talk about that. And I'm curious, you know, if any of this resonated with you, like reach out to me. Like I would love to hear what folks are thinking. Um, I would love to hear reactions to the podcast episode that I'm going to link the Mel Ribbons podcast. And if you have thoughts, let me know, reach out, DM me, email me. I was going to talk about, I'm reading Dopamine Nation by Anna Lemke right now. And it's a very good book. She was a guest on Hidden Brain maybe a couple months ago. And when I went home to Texas in July, my mom had the book. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, I remember this lady being a guest. So I took it. She doesn't know. Unless she listens to this episode, I took the book. <laughs> it's mine now because it's it's underlined the heck out of it. Um, I've underlined the heck out of it. So, yeah. I was thinking of talking about some things in the book that have really resonated with me, but I'm nearing 50 minutes of this episode. So I'm going to save it for the next episode, even if it becomes a two-parter, because I want to focus some time on this book. It's really helped me kind of hone in on certain things that are really important and how to devote my time to things versus things that vie for our time that are quote unquote cheap dopamine, social media comes to mind first and, you know, how to move forward with the new knowledge that I've gained. So I'm going to end the podcast here. Thank you guys so much for listening. I appreciate you all. Thank you so much for the support when it comes to the relaunch of the podcast. There was some nervousness there, you know, because As with anything new or any changes, you can't control how people respond to it. But I felt that the transition to letters and layers and the timing for the transition was right. And, you know, the response has been overwhelmingly positive. So I really appreciate that from you guys. Share this episode or this podcast or past episodes with people who you think will resonate or will be positively impacted. Please recommend, please rate and review. I saw some new five-star ratings on the Spotify platform. Thank you guys so much to whoever offered those. And like I said, reach out to me, email me at btbwpodcast at gmail.com. That is still the email for now, but I will definitely announce once I change it. And um, yeah, that's it. DM me on Instagram. If you have any issues or anything going on in your life that you would like me to kind of offer my two cents and you don't mind listeners hearing, please shoot me an email, shoot me a DM, and I'd be happy to um, contribute. So again, thank you guys so much. Love you guys so much. And I appreciate you all. Talk to you in the next episode. Okay, bye.